For September 26th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 743. I thought they looked snazzy on the outside. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers, your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out together and discussing, you know, just chewing over some some aspect of the culture that leaves us uh, interested, delighted, bemused, uh, uh, sometimes horrified, though though uh, though not today. We're not feeling horrified today because, hey, Pete Fenzel's back. Hey, Pete. Hey, it's, Yay! He's after a, uh, a you know, Blinky, uh, Blinky noted on last week's episode that, uh, we've increased the, uh, the parental leave policy. <laughs> that we, <laughs> Two weeks. That, Three weeks. That, that we have. <laughs> and, uh, and that, uh, we've paid you, uh, several times your usual salary during, during this, uh, during this thing. I mean, I, I think that's why, oh, that's why overthinking it is such a bastion of progressive yeah. values. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, <laughs> mess around with, with funding parental leave at, at, at 80 cents on the dollar, 85 cents on the dollar. We're not fighting over crumbs. No, we tripled your salary, Pete, while, yeah. while you were away. You know, when it comes to mathematical expressions, it's really not the final value that matters. It's really the journey, right? So, Absolutely. Like, what is it multiplied by? What is it added to and then subtracted from? It's, uh, you know, it's it, there's a whole bunch of logarithms involved. There's You can go on a very, very long road to get to zero, and it's hey, pretty great. Man, I work so. in tech. We give a lot of statistics without a denominator. You know, yeah, no, no, Pete, we tripled our number of customers on our custom widget platform. (laughs) There's now three. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Baselines where we're going. We don't need baselines. Where we're going. All right. So that's Pete Fenzel and that's the voice of Mark Lee. Hey, Mark, it's great to talk with you. Hey, yeah, it's great to be here. It's great to have Pete back on the podcast. The original trilogy. The original three lineup. Oh, like that's Kirk, a, Spock, and McCoy. I here. know that's uh, that's wonderful. Well, so we were off last week. I feel like I can disclose because uh, I'm getting married in about five weeks' time, and uh, to the church on time. Sorry, continue. <laughs> well, and we had a uh, my bachelor party, though it was not. I mean, I guess it was not a. Well, it was a bachelor party. It was not a. Um, there were no other bachelors besides me at the party, I guess is what I mean to say. It was a, it was a sole bachelor, uh, bachelor party and us being, you know, us being old rather than having like a night out in a city, we all went together to a, uh, to a vacation rental, uh, outside of Washington, DC. And we, uh, we had a, a big fancy dinner together at a, a really wonderful spot. The guys took me to a spot called the Inn at Little Washington, which is, you know, if you look it up, you can see how, uh, uh, how super fancy, how right up my alley. Um, it was, and it was a, a wonderful weekend, uh, with those who could, those who could come, uh, and, uh, also those who, like Pete, were, were excused from, uh, for parental leave reasons, but, uh, video chatted in. And, uh, yeah, and, and our friend Ryan also, who was, uh, 
knocked out by COVID at the last minute in a, in a, a disappointing blow. But, uh, you know, let's dwell not on, dwell not on what didn't happen, but what did happen, which is that, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of friends from this crew came together for the first time in several years. And it was a wonder, just exactly a wonderful kind of quality time, um, sort of, uh, sort of thing that I wanted from this, uh, you know, from, from this event. And it also involved all of us. Uh, dressing up. Like there's a picture of us from the, uh, from the night itself with five of us wearing suits and ties. Like not, not even, I mean, like, I, I think we gotta like do a little Dianu, right? Like if we just tucked a shirt in at the bachelor party, uh, you know, at the, the fancy, the fancy dinner out Dianu, you know, if we put on a jacket, uh, over our t-shirt and jeans, Dianu. If we wore a shirt that buttons up instead of one you pull over your head, Dianu. If, if we uh, tucked if, in that shirt. Right. If we Dianu. put a, if we put a tie on that, if we wore slacks instead of jeans and wore a blazer, slacks and jeans, Dianu. But no, we, uh, we wore suits and uh suits and ties and it was uh it was really among the rarer things i'm not sure i've seen this group dressed up together to this level since uh we were all in a band together and you had to wear a tuxedo <laughs> you know you had to wear black to be fair, it was it was almost certainly a wedding that happened like in the latter part of the last decade <laughs> oh yeah sure fair enough fair enough it was it was probably at that though you know some people could have rolled to the wedding in a in a slacks and a sport coat right like this was a sure, this was sure. a whole thing and it struck it did strike me that this is extremely rare like you know in these uh during the championship season i mean there's been a lot of uh a lot of jokes made about how we are all wearing boxer shorts just or gym shorts underneath our underneath our waist uh and uh underneath the frame of the zoom camera but it's also just like i don't know i I think that this level of this level of dressing up a sort of don draper level of dressing up is not part of our lives anymore and you were remarking on this mark uh as well did you have did you have thoughts about uh about uh, the, the menswear situation that led you to suggest this as a topic for the show yeah i mean i started with the feet actually on the shoes um in that uh you know i have these dress shoes that um, pre-COVID, I had a set of them and I wore them basically five days a week, you know, one day for every day I went to work, uh, over the championship season, of course, of the championship season, I changed jobs. Um, I work remotely, um, and I have no functions to go to anymore except for your bachelor party. So now I wear those, uh, I wear dress shoes about five times a year. Yes. I think it's about five times a year as a pace that I'm going for wearing, wearing those, those shoes, uh, of which like, you know, we're kind of like an, uh, an essential part of my visual identity, um, now they they sit forlorn in a closet, um, just waiting their turn, uh, as if they are um, a, a a a teacup and a clock in a Disney movie, <laughs> waiting to be someone, waiting for a guest to come and for them to do a song and dance. Mark, they who, came out, they did it. They who did would voice? Who would voice your shoes in the Disney animated uh, remake, where your shoes magically come to life and they sit in in your closet, waiting, you know, hoping desperately to be useful. Once again, do you know what actor or actress would would voice the footwear? Um, I was going to say Mark Ruffalo, but that's like a little too casual. <laughs> um, certainly not Harvey, because that's just a, that's a different kind of vibe. Um, I'll have to get back to you on that. Yeah, um, no, you want someone question. you like want one of the actors from The Crown or something like that. You know, you want you want Matt Smith uh, or something mm. that you know. Mm. Uh, 
to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I, so I was, I, I thought it was an, an interesting thing. Pete, you want to uh, make an opening conversational gambit in, in men's wearcast 2022? Sure. So here's how I see the arc of all this happening, all this suit stuff, right? And I'll, I'll throw in my own little experiences with it here and there, the sort of most important moments in my uh, understanding of non-casual dress. Uh, and and, and I'll, I'll ask for them to be interrogated. So some of this comes from a visit I made to the Museum of Costume in Bath, which is a great place. Have you been to the Museum of Costume, uh, Matt? No, I Wait, haven't. Is, is this in Bath? England? It is in Bath. It is in Bath. Ah, yes, Bath. Yes, yes. And it it is a it's one of those museums that is in chronological order, or at least it was when I went like 20 years ago. And you can uh walk through the exhibits which are uh you know man- clothes on mannequins which go back to the 17th century, maybe even I think maybe even earlier, maybe 16th century. Um and it shows you the you know it's called costume because because obviously the name for what it is that people are doing is different uh, depending on the era that you're talking about. But the gist of the narrative it tells is of the initial vast division between upper class and let's just say everybody else clothing, uh, not counting the clergy because they're not really featured in the museum as far as I remember. Maybe they are now. It's been a long time. Oh, by the way, the last piece in the bath. Costume Museum was the famous Jennifer Lopez dress that has the giant uh, cutout in the front that uh, I've seen that it's smaller in person than I thought it would be. Um, nobody was wearing it, though, just to make it. But the point being that, you know, you have these upper class people, these, you know, you know, nobility heads of state and whatnot, wearing these heavily structured, finely crafted or finely crafted is kind of they're all finely crafted. You could have a finely crafted shift that somebody made with care and whatnot. But you know what I mean? Like ornate. Lots of different colors and dyes that were hard to get or expensive. Lots of uh, lots of different high uh, high stakes, high expense technique went into it. Much more work than could feasibly go into any sort of scalable wardrobe in sort of old timey pre industrial clothing manufacture. And then as the technology to make both textiles and garments improves, you see. People, a larger and larger portion of the population gets access in practical terms to being able to wear something like what the upper class is wearing. And that in turn kind of draws and 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 uh, humbles somewhat what the upper class is wearing. There's sort of a slow convergence where you have this sort of rarefied, almost almost religious, like pseudo religious ritual overdressing that takes place. In these particular societies, which then go on, of course, to colonize everywhere and uh, and have a lot of influence on dress. And then you have the development of industrial garment making and industrial textile making, which then makes it possible for people who don't have a lot of money to dress like people who have all the money. And then this over time gravitates towards a uh, a something more a greater degree of similarity between the uh, the rarefied air of the upper classes and then the lower classes. And then a lot of it changes really abruptly in, uh, in when the wars, the big wars, the big mobilizing modern industrial wars start happening, where you start gathering these huge numbers of dudes together into places where they all need to wear matching outfits. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, in the wars in the 18th century, the idea of everybody wearing a matching outfit is kind of an aspiration. It's not really the reality. But by the time you get to World War I, everybody's got uniforms. And those really affect 
what menswear looks like. This is where you see the kind of death of the suspender as the suspender gives way to the belt, right? And um, where you see, you know, that the idea of of the three-piece suit kind of goes away and, and is replaced by a two-piece suit. Uh, there's affiliations of different kinds of garments with different members parts of the armed forces, but but sort of participation in war becomes the kind of pageantry of menswear. Uh, cut ahead to 2005 or so, where I go from working in the arts in New York City, where I'm wearing, you know, a I call the I would call them a button down, and they were button down, but really they were front button shirts, right? Because the button down is the collar, right? And they they were uh they were button down the front shirt. This is one of my pet peeves. This is one of my pet peeves, <laughs> yeah, because you know I, I I really don't like for myself button down shirts. Uh, but everyone says, do you want a button down shirt? And it's like this, you keep using this word. I, I think it does not mean <laughs> what you think it means. So Pete, can you educate us as to what, yeah, sure. you know, the, the, the origin uh, of button down yes. shirts? So uh, when, when we go farther back upstream in this historical narrative, collars are a huge freaking deal, right? Big, we also have big frilly collars on Sir Walter Raleigh and Shakespeare and, and Queen Elizabeth and whatnot. And then there are you know heavily starched and structured collars that come down to the point where paper, in our paper youth, collars that are that are disposable is another, right. you know, is another yep. one. And this little bow tie collars where you wear nothing else except for a speedo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, but did you see those in your bachelor party? Matt? Did, you any, did, you get any, did you see any rescue rangers from I, either Chip or Dale? I, uh, <laughs> I take the fifth. No, no, no. Fine furniture. Were, was yes. the only uh, Chippendale that was at the <laughs> at the bachelor party within um, reach as always. Yes. But that that like this this a lot of this had to do with like uh, the practicality of what could be washed, right? Yes. Because if yes. you had you know it, the the neck part near the like the neck sweat and the face sweat and stuff like that, right? Could be could be pulled out the beard sweat, I suppose, yeah. could be pulled out and washed in a small you know a small amount of. Uh, uh, a small amount, you know, washed ev- ev- with every use, whereas the the majority of the shirt could last, you know, a, a couple days worth of wearing before it became uh, in need of of washing in quite the same quite yeah. the same way. And so, at the time that we're talking about, there were a couple of different kinds of collars you could have in your shirt. One of them is a starched collar. It might have a collar stay, which is a little piece of plastic that you put inside the collar to maintain its pointiness. Uh, even if it, if you know, maybe you don't want a heavily starched shirt like me, it might irritate your skin uh, along those lines. But then there are also shirts where you can attach the collar to the shirt with a button, and the tie threads through the area between the button and then where the collar folds. So you can sort of imagine it like a hot dog bun that buttons uh, buttons over rather than a hot dog bun that's got sharp plastic points on it. These all just sound like wonderful things to put in your body, right? Um, but I think the tra- tra- traditionally. Buttoning down your button down is even was even at times seen in poor taste. I was I I was forced. The thing that happened right is I went from working in the nonprofit sector, uh, and I worked in you know academia as an as an administrator, and I worked uh, in an actual theater right. Uh, and and obviously you're not getting dressed up in a fancy way to mop the floors, which is you know the theater the theater job I'm doing and like. Yeah, balancing the books and, and getting people paid and fixing the air conditioner, but also mopping the floors. Like, I'm not wearing a suit for that. We're at the point where hats have long fallen out of fashion as a mandatory garment for men. Uh, we're not yet at the uh, fedora equals sort of terrorist stage. <laughs> we're like fedora equals like desperate sadness stage of uh, of male dress. Um, but but Frank Sinatra is way in the rearview rear mirror. And I guess the swing revival has, is at this point swung its swing 
uh, it's taken its shot. So yes, uh, I had gone from wearing what you would call business casual, and, and the, the terms change, right? The terms change. Uh, but business casual when I was an, a- an academic administrator to what you might call smart casual when I was in uh, nonprofit management. Um, and then I moved into banking and I had to go like full business formal. So I had a boss who was very formal and he would wear pinstripe suits whenever he was in the office, though he generally worked from home. And he expected, I mean, he would tell stories about how, you know, it was necessary to wear a jacket whenever you went in the elevator, right? Um, a, I suppose business casual with blazer and, and and khakis was acceptable, but in general, suits were expected. And this was still the time where it's like buy four, three or four suits when you start uh, and rotate them um, at expense to dry clean them, right? And because uh, it's expensive to dry clean suits. And I would wear, you know, hard soled shoes, like leather hard soled shoes. Uh, I would uh, be commuting through the city. So I lived in the next city over, right? I would hop on the, the subway and, and and shimmy on down. But that's a lot of hard walking by a big dude on hard shoes on concrete streets and sidewalks or asphalt streets and concrete sidewalks. And I would grind down the corners and sides of my dress shoes, right? So that they would fall at a plane. And I would know when my ankles started really hurting that I needed to go to the cobbler and have the cobbler re-sole my shoes because I'd literally like beaten the leather out of them by walking across town uh, while I was going to my bank. I mean, that, is, that is a particular dramatization of what happened. Another might be that, <laughs> that you used the shoes. Yeah, I wore them until after they were worn out, so it became unpleasant. Uh, if I had merely refreshed them more often. Or perhaps Pete, nice Pete really, was it the sole that got worn down or was it the sole? <laughs> Mm. Cut to like uh, the guy, the animated guy from Soul, just his fingers going crazy on the piano, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, no. I mean, I mean, like, can, 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 can I ask you a question? Since I brought up that very stupid pun there, like the, the obvious thing is like, how did that make you feel? Like that drastic, um, you know, leveling up of your dress? Did it make you feel important? Because yeah. I'll tell you, like it did for me when, like the, the time that I went from like not having to dress like that to having to dress like that more or less every day. I mean, I love dressing like that. I think that even not like that, but like okay. So there's two questions. There's two. There's there's three different parts of this. The first part is my boss who would who was not in my office and we didn't do video calls at the time, but other people on the floor would tell him what I was wearing and who, and he would yell at me. Wait, seriously? Like full on yell at me on the phone. There would be like, they're sufficiently dressed. The menswear spies. Yes. There yeah. were like, the menswear there Stasi were, 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 were informing on each other. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. So it was, Gosh. it was pretty rough place. It was a pretty rough situation. It was mostly the manager whatever. It's fine. It's over now. But the point being that like, so to one degree, there the difference is to the extent that the boss made me buy a book that was sort of how to dress. Um, although he might have lent it to me. He might have done me that much. It was a book on how to dress that, that taught you the different styles of men- menswear and the sort of levels of formality and what they were appropriate for and what they weren't appropriate for. Uh, and so I think that at the time, even the division between business formal and business casual was collapsing. And the idea of wearing matched suits every day was not really in play for most people, even in that environment. Like if you wore a blazer and pants, it was still fashionable. It, they should they should not look good. Obviously, if, if they look terrible, then that's a problem. Uh, I would say that I was chronically sleep deprived and continue to be chronically sleep deprived. But now it's because I have 
a newborn baby and another and a toddler. Uh, but also I've just always been chronically sleep deprived. And it's really hard. One thing that this kind of dressing really does is it does show how well you can hide your problems <laughs> because I, you could tell when I was really tired. <laughs> Everything's super wrinkled. I didn't iron as regularly as I should have. Like I, I looked a mess a lot of the time. There's there was a cartoon one of my coworkers drew of me of like my pants that were too short and like the pen that was in my mouth, right? And like the uh, the the sleeves that were rolled up. Yeah, you know, I looked that's like brutal. Uh, yeah, it Jay seems Jonah cruel. Jameson. That's not that's not a, uh, it's not a fun cartoon. I mean, that seems cruel. It, is, it was endearing. It is it is illustrative. Is it illustrative not just of your your physical appearance but of the culture? I think it was my sort of attempt to try to be part of the culture, but how I kind of had to be me in certain ways. Like I just, mm. I, you could tell that I was fighting against it, not in a subversive way, but just in a, like, I have to do my work. Cause that's one of the obstacles, right? It's like, you really have to get through your day in these garments and the garments are not very good at that. Especially once you have really moved down the quality level and durability level of like, the suits, right? Because because there's a gap between the expensive suits that were really never in reach for me. Probably even even now would probably be way too expensive for me to be able to afford. But like you know the act the suits that the actual high flying banker people, rather than me, like the copywriter and editor for the for the email newsletter, right? like uh, yeah. would would get. Um, but I would say yes. I would say that if in the area between smart casual, business casual, and formal wear for men as Pre Steve Jobs, because this is all pre. This is that's a very important touchstone, right? Mm, pre Steve Jobs, yeah. Uh, there's a huge difference in the practical consideration for these different levels of garments, but not really a big difference. I felt in how important they made you feel. Um, and, and but there's a big difference between like sort of smart casual, the low end of business casual, and like what I could wear to the office now. Because when I moved to my current job, there was still a dress code, and it and it was no jeans. And no sneakers, but you know it was very forgiving otherwise, right? Relative to what I was used to, and and this is you know uh, at an insurance company, and so now the dress code they just want anybody to come to the office. Please come to the please office. come to the <laughs> office. Please, you can wear you yeah. can wear basketball shorts and an A shirt. Come into yeah. the office, please. So, so, so a couple of things happen, right? One is I think just the the economics of it all fall apart. Uh, I was I was looking doing some research to prepare for this, and it was something like between 2000 and 2019, the price of a suit went down 20 percent, and that's at a time when consumer goods were not flat in how much they they were. Now, I don't necessarily think that that just means that because of demand, the same garment was worth less. I think that you really saw a downslide in the quality of suit that a even even an upper middle class career man could afford to buy, right? Um, and, you know, it's just it just wasn't feasible to buy a two thousand dollars suit. It never has. Been. It's crazy, right? Like, um, but also the quality of those garments that you could afford that were made available thanks to things like Men's Warehouse, which I always would shop at, um, even for my wedding. Right? Like, uh, you know, it's not the most durable thing, you know, and and uh, it doesn't necessarily hold together, and you can't wash it yourself, obviously, and uh, I mean, the dry cleaning is probably just as expensive as the fabric. But the point being that, like, there was not a good solution. And they're made, and they're made of the same chemicals, Pete. The dry cleaning, <laughs> the, the, you know, aromatic <laughs> solvents they use in dry cleaning yeah. is the same as the, you yeah. know, polyester or rayon extruded plastic fabrics of the suit. <laughs> so what I would say as I sort of think about all this is there was an opportunity in that era 
for the men's formal wear industry in the United States or potentially Europe to introduce a garment that solved the practical problems of wearing a suit while maintaining the kind of identity and fashion brand of wearing a suit. And as far as I know, this garment never came to be. You think so? Can, can I, we, I think that there can, could have been. Yeah. Can we backtrack from one of the practical problems of wearing a suit? Yeah. Um, I want to see if you share this experience as well, um, which is that the first I would – you know, wear the suit to the office. I would like, well, I would make sure that like, you know, I was kind of all dolled up as I entered um, the the workspace, the cubicle farm. As soon as I got to my desk, the jacket, not only did the jacket come off, but also I rolled up my sleeves because I found it like nearly impossible, just very uncomfortable, suboptimal to type on yes. a computer keyboard and operate a mouse with the clunky suit jacket kind of just banging around on my wrists and, and on all my computer equipment. Was that your experience as well, Pete? I mean, I've I've been rolling up my sleeves since the '90s. You know, I'm I'm a big sleeve roller, uh, for sure. I think that they get in the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, I didn't even get into cufflinks because that that's that's really. I have multiple pairs of cuffs. Do you guys own cufflinks? No, I I've never. I, I've I've worn cufflinks one time, and that was for my wedding. Sure, but I never. Pete, it's always like it always feels like not worth the the. The trouble. So the like four or five shirts, uh, you know, the uh, or I should say four or five percent of shirts that I have that have like a, a French collars, French cuffs are, uh, you know, not really in the rotation. I don't know. But you yeah. you enjoy it as a as a like a sort of dandyish. Uh, I won't say affectation because you're not affecting anything as a as a uh, as a sort of dandyish gesture. So I felt like I like cufflinks. Yeah. And as a sort of sentimental, I mean, you don't get to wear a bunch of jewelry as a dude unless you, you know, you're wearing earrings and necklaces and stuff, which is never really my my style per se. Uh, and so there's an aspect of accessorization and, and personalization. But there's also the idea that you can have kind of special ones that mark periods in your life. Um, but I mean, similarly, I got a bunch of French cuff, French cuff shirts to wear with cufflinks for the same job. And was told that I like didn't rank high enough in the company and wasn't allowed to wear them. Oh wow! Uh, wow, was that in the book? Uh, it's was in the book. It was in the book at Lehman Brothers, believe it or not. Uh, that was actually a, a, I know that was where the the discussion came from. So Lehman Brothers, of course, one of the big uh, major bankruptcies at Wall Street that caused the 2008 financial crisis. Well, yeah, and obviously because um, they were spending all of these money, all of this money on cufflinks for their French gun <laughs> shirts. Yeah, they're paying too much attention to they're paying too much attention to wardrobe instead of their bottom line and their risk management, right? Fiscal right? irresponsibility runs to the top of the firm, the bottom of the firm and the middle of the firm at the wrist with the cufflink on the French cuff shirt. So this stuff is all stupid, right? So the the what none the other thing is that none of this this has all become totally divorced at this point of the story from the reason why you're wearing any of these things, which is to collapse the distinction between yourself and upper class people. It's a democratizing, industrializing, right? Uh it's it's an upward mobility thing. Wearing a suit, at least as far as I'm concerned, is about rejecting class humiliation. It's about saying like, yeah, sure, I'm not as rich as that person, but I ha- I, I, I am able to because of what our society has been able to achieve, right, economically and in terms of uh, logistically, distribution, all this other stuff, and also the sort of traditions and how I was raised to perform this role that does not make me subservient, even though I don't have nearly anywhere as, as much money as these people. I think there's a dignity in wearing suits that is gone when you get to the point where 
the the fancy people are wearing you know i guess i guess it's it's one of the things that women probably have always had more challenge with because haute couture for women has always been so completely different from what women could wear generally but here we're i'm way out of my element i shouldn't go deep on that that's like a whole other kettle of fish um they wear, also, women wear kettles which, of they wear kettles of fish uh, they did in the 1700s. It's in the bath costume you see. <laughs> the dojette um, of Venice. I mean, a giant I, bowl of fish on her head. Pete, I think no. there's another there's another aspect to this. What? To there's another aspect to this dynamic. I think that that you're identifying, which is that as the you know, if you are if you are sort of aspiring to what uh, the upper class, what nobility, aristocratic or rich people can do, and you're not quite that yourself, right? There's like a counter reaction from the actual upper classes where, uh, you know, who doesn't have like a strict book of, of what, what they can wear is the actual aristocrats, right? Like a, because they don't need to write it down. It's the, you know, it's sort of passed down. Um, and I think we talked about this in like, uh, didn't we do a podcast about like Emily post style, uh, yeah. things like Emily Post em, uh, manuals such as the one that, that your boss gave to you, uh, betray kind of paradoxically a great deal of anxiety about not belonging, right? And needing, needing to do it right. And the people who belong don't need to worry about belonging. This was actually dramatized in The Crown when Margaret Thatcher comes to Balmoral, uh, for the first time to find, uh, Olivia Coleman and family, um, right, uh, coming back from the day's activities, the day's sort of outdoor activities or whatever. And they show up in evening dress, which I think means black tie, you know, and like a gown for, uh, a black tie for, for, uh, Mr. Thatcher and a gown for Mrs. Thatcher and, you know, finds them all in there, in their, in their like tweeds and, you know, uh, uh, sweaters like Aaron sweaters or whatever they have like the the outdoor clothes for their for their activities and uh, I guess tweet a lot of tweet tweet everywhere and that like um you know they don't need to they don't need to dress up uh to pr- to prove that they are uh, to prove that they are uh, aristocratic they're the they're the actual royals in in the show and i feel like there's there is a similar there is a similar thing uh i was i was privileged to experience um uh, alongside my fiance the uh the first episode of season 2 of the kardashians on hulu <laughs> yeah. you know and it's like it's a lot of it's a lot of sort of uh uh you know elevated kind of fashionized athletic wear that the uh that the sisters k wear you know in the course of their uh in the course of their many uh many activities whether it's you know yoga pants style style clothes or whether it's kind of like tracksuit style clothes or whether it's like you know um wh- whatever the the thing and i guess like sweatsuit you know would be another would be another uh uh kind of version of that and that's like um you know that's the the kind of counter reaction now among actual wealthy people who you know can wear what they want uh uh, d- uh, without needing to prove necessarily needing to prove uh, the same thing as a middle manager at a bank needs needs to prove yeah. by means of of, of sartorial choices. Sure, I, I largely agree with what you're saying there, Matt. But like, we got to take it to the next level there, which is that 
I think what you're getting at is that, um, again, like the kind of you know, inevitably we have to center this conversation on menswear because that's really all we're qualified to yeah. to comment on, right? Um, which is that like you have the the aesthetic of the Silicon Valley tech bro, right? Who is you know has has come to the top of the socioeconomic ladder, um, right? In terms of pay and and arguably status and things like that, right? Um, famously, they do not dress up, right? A a a, a highly paid engineer at Facebook. Never has to wear a suit. Instead, shows up to the office in a T-shirt, um, uh, a, a hoodie, and jeans and sneakers. Right now, within that though, because everyone at the company is wearing, comes showing up wearing some variation of the same thing, um, you start to, you know, differentiation inevitably starts to take hold, and there's like a um, a level of fitting in and wearing the right thing and demonstrating status within those new set of parameters. Yeah. Right. The very expensive $500 designer jeans, um, the sneakers that cost several hundred dollars, um, the the watch, right? We're talking about jewelry, like, you know, Watchcast is, is a whole other podcast that we could do, um, hoodie, all, so on and so forth, right? Like, um, and again, it's not exclusive to what we just talked about for how, like, you know, the... Um, Guys, the, let, me, let me tell the, you. The, yeah, go ahead. Let go me ahead. tell you, Mark, for, for air-conditioned office, you know, that's another thing, like, in and out of air-conditioning, like, a hot a hot city day in and out of air-conditioning, that's a tough thing uh, to do in a suit, especially a wool suit, but uh, uh, let me tell you the perfect in and out of air-conditioning garment, Mark, cashmere hoodie. Cash, <laughs> cashmere hood zips up the front, oh, oh. you know, Ca- oh. cashmere. You just spend the whole I feel, day. I like, feel cozy. Just think just hearing the words. stroking, yeah. stroking your wow. own arms. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway. I would say, yeah, yeah. Like I think the suits failed. I think a bunch of stuff happens between 12, 2000 and 2010, which is the suits fail. They stop accomplishing what they need to accomplish. It finally reaches a breaking point. Then the workforce is at this point rapidly and radically diversified and a lot of people who can't wear suits like that or wouldn't want to wear suits like that or for whom suits like that don't mean anything are are uh, big parts of the workforce. And there's not really a whole lot to gain from these people adopting suits in the same way that, say, like my immigrant great grandparents, you know, were wearing suits to try to fit in when they showed up here. It's a very different sort of uh, degree of, of acceptance that's going on. A different sort of dialogue is happening. And, yes, the thing at the top changes radically. You know, the the because I, I would disagree with Matt in the sense of if we're talking about the 80s, then the people who are super rich, a lot of the men are still wearing things that are recognizable as suits um, in the 80s, even in the 90s, at least in the business environment. But then you get to the 2000s and it really starts changing. And then you also, of course, have social media coming along, which means that people of sort of influence and uh, who want to see and be seen are seen in much less formal situations and like by design. Right. And so this whole idea of kind of formal, informal wear uh, and athleisure and whatnot, which is also, I guess, related to experience economy uh, and the, you know, the sort of shift away from using your money to buy things to own towards using your money to buy experiences to have, which, you know, ends up, which is also related to being able to publish pictures of yourself all the time and, you know, the idea of like, OK, I went to the I went to the Tough Mudder. I went to the I, I had brunch after my CrossFit class, which I've done many times. And you show up in your gym clothes and it's like you're totally fine and proud because your you know, your your degree of social performance is 
is taking place. Oh man, Pete. Um, and I've been sitting, I mean, more than once I've been sitting in a brunch uh, place wearing, you know, as, as you could imagine my waistcoat, my cravat, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my, uh, long, long coat, my morning jacket, you know, and, <laughs> and, and britches and seen a bunch of sweaty CrossFitters, you know, in their, in their, in their headbands and their, their synthetic fabrics, you know, uh, the, in, in, not, not, not even bespoke, Pete, in sizes small, you know, XS through XL. Uh, There's no double digit numbers anywhere. Come, come here and I say, ah, there goes, there goes the neighborhood. Waiter, <laughs> I throw this mimosa away. Bring me the check. And um, so, yeah, so, so now we're in, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, Mark and you knew that I didn't think it was just about the suits not being good enough. <laughs> that's that's really what everything changed. Brooks Brothers went bankrupt because their suits sucked is not the answer to why Brooks Brothers went bankrupt. There's a lot of other stuff that was happening at the time. Though the it's Kardashians- interesting. I mean, like Brooks Brothers going bankrupt is an interesting kind of thing to note in this because they are the, you know, in 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 olden in olden times, you know, whether you when you were going to get a suit of clothes before industrial manufacture of things like this, which I largely connect with like world war one um and and like that that was i think a a really big turning point the the uh, advent of the zipper another really big turning point as opposed to button or like hook and hook and eye type of closures but um you know that before a suit even for a non-rich person a suit would have to be made made by a tailor or you know at least kind of like altered i guess uh by no not really altered made um made by a tailor if you were working class and the suit was your one your one sort of garment and it was like an outer garment and you wore a, an inner shirt or something that could be laundered but the suit was like the you know the kind of the main kind of presentation um thing it, it was probably i mean it was probably cut a li- structured a little differently than than a banker or lawyer's suit or a you know an aristocratic um sort of suit it probably had you know more accessible pockets etc 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 but it still you know it still had to be made and the advent of brooks brothers and the kind of the 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 mass produced kind of ready to wear you know uh uh type of suit um is uh you know was a, a huge turning point in in the availability of this and the kind of the the long history that that pete gave us at the uh, you know near the beginning of this this chat and um that them going out of business, I think, I don't know, is another uh, really important kind of uh, important kind of marker, you know what I mean? Important kind of thing to note, a, a marker probably of the sign of the times of, of a uh, of a trend that was already underway, um, uh, you know, for for a long time, a long, a long, slow decline that I guess then got like punctuated by COVID. Uh, did, did they did they disappear completely or did they reorganize? Uh, did they declare bankruptcy and reorganize? I'm not I'm not sure. Oh, they're they're still there's zombie of them walking around. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. I think it's <laughs> it's it's not the same, I think. In, uh, with in, a tattered, in a, in an expensive but low quality suit. Yeah, a tattered a tattered suit, a ripped and tattered yeah. suit, there's, you know. There's a company called the Authentic Brands Group, which is just delightful. Oh, that's that's hysterical. That's amazing. <laughs> and and they, that owns, they they're the parent company for Brooks Brothers. It owns all of the most authentic brands, such as <laughs> uh Reebok, Tap Out, Forever Twenty One, Aeropostal. Um, it owns, it, it was this, it lists in its portfolio, Marilyn, Mon- the likeness of Marilyn Monroe. It owns the likenesses of Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, and Muhammad Ali. 
Uh, it That's owns, amazing. It, it so, owns Sports Illustrated, the magazine. So it owns the swimsuit edition of Sports Illustrated, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. So now this is this is a wonderful little rabbit hole love to it. go down. Yeah, one, one, one part of the company, thing. one part of the company is trying to figure out shave margin on like reducing the quality of the threads of yeah. the aforementioned Brooks Brothers suit, and another wing of that company is trying to figure out how to create like AI avatars. Yeah. You know, of of those of, of Marilyn <laughs> yeah. Monroe and others to just milk that cash. How can we make a crappier Eddie Bauer pullover and also make Dr. J into a thinking robot? <laughs> 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 like these are these are the goals of the authentic brands group <laughs> as it authenticates our authentic brands. Uh, the owned by CVC Capital Partners. Hey, man, get, this is I feel oh, like Pres <laughs> Belusky in the wire, man. Like you just you turn away and all of a sudden you just got to follow the money. It's crazy. I, I have one other thing to say about Brooks Brothers and then I have a potential different direction to take the conversation, um, which is that like I, I you know, around like the uh, 2010 or so, like when I got a new job, that was like, yes, OK, that's it. Like I hit the big time. I'm buying a Brooks Brothers suit. Yes. A year later, I was like, why is this thing falling apart? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what exactly. the heck? Yep. Yeah. So that that, that is uh, that is a lived experience. For sure. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenon. Um, so they certainly do not miss the Brooks Brothers for that regard. Um, OK, so here's what I want to talk about, though, is that um, um, we talked about the collar. We talked about the suit, the jacket and the and the and the and, and the pants, you know, the things that kind of kind of fray out. But we haven't talked a lot about neckties. Right. Ooh. Like like first of all, a like how weird they are in general, but like B also specifically like the fascinating trend of them getting wider and skinnier and then wider and skinnier over time. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, that is that is weird, right? And the and the bow tie kind of at one point being in fashion and out of fashion, and you already talked about wearing your bow tie without. Has a shirt. that has that come back? Did I miss the memo on that? Bow ties are cool. Are That's they? Doctor Who? No, but Doctor oh. Who coming back and becoming a thing, I think, revalidated bow tie. Well, okay, here's I can I could say my own personal opinion. A lot of this stuff is that a lot of this menswear stuff has come back, and this is a cruel word to use for it, but it's come back kind of anorexified, where you can wear any of these things if you're comically skinny or, like, dangerously, dangerously thin, right? Like, you can you can see, like, the male models have been Photoshopped to the degree that we used to think female models were only Photoshopped, wearing, like, super-duper skinny pants with, like, full three-piece suits and, and still having room inside. I'm, I think I'm reminded, I think it's in the description of the dude that, Garp's wife cheats on in the world according to Garth. Garp with the guy, the graduate student that Garp's wife sleeps with in the world. Garp is that you know clothes look good on him because he's a hanger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just the idea of like the layers of clothing and things like like ties and bow ties and overly formal wear can be made to look moderate if there's no body inside of it. Uh, but no, that's not fair. I would say that bow ties in the 2000s became more popular than they were prior to that um i think i can think of what did andre 3000 wear a bow tie at one point or something like that i don't know but um that's neither here nor there the but neckties are strange right and we and we never we never really understood them i think uh like you could tell somebody that a necktie was it was a phallus but it still doesn't understand it doesn't explain it like why are you wearing this thing wrapped around your neck that's like really uncomfortable and choking you well, that's the, the that's the 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 best thing from uh, or not the best thing, but uh, the best thing about this is from State in Maine, the uh, David Mamet film, where the doctor at the end uh, says to someone, uh, the doc, the bow tie wearing small town doctor says to someone, "Why would you listen to me? A man 
wearing a tie that points out to accentuate his ears. A man's tie is supposed to point down to accentuate his genitals. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's an interesting thought that just comes to mind. Think of every TV show and movie you've ever seen that has portrayed corsets as death traps. Right. Like as in which I think from what I hear from what little I've heard from corset enthusiasts is often exaggerated in just with regards to how uncomfortable a properly fitting corset is. But I don't know. Again, I don't know. But the point being that, like the the way that a corset is put on someone is frequently used in fiction to show the unbearable oppressiveness of their environment. And not once have I thought prior to today that the noose that I wore around my neck for 10 years that always felt terrible and often threatened to choke me was in any way a reflection of a similar sort of discomfort. Well, it's, right? or, or even even like a mark of a bad society at all. Right. Was that like, was that, like uh, was that really a function of the shirts not not fitting well? Right. Like because you, you, you do lose something when you have all these these uh, off the rack shirts like these uh, rather than something that's that's measured to fit and kind of constructed to fit your neck. Right. It's generally the the collar that's grabbing at you rather than the necktie don't you think i mean that that is generally the case that is that is fair i think and i'm a thick necked guy and so a lot of necked shirts don't really oh yeah i have have exactly the same problem the 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 i'm you know largely i have always been a medium shirt uh person but i can't even get close to buttoning buttoning a medium shirt but if i buy an extra large shirt which is what i'd need to get a, a collar that closes right i would it would fit me like a nightgown you know so i yeah. i um what a, uh you know as uh as saint augustine said what a wretched man am i who will save me from this body doomed but, to death but, but that's, there's no, no that maybe there's that was no reason to close that top button if you're not wearing a tie also sure so yeah. like that ritual of like closing the top button and now you have to live like this and then you have to do this comical knot that nobody knows how to do that well. Right? Like all of this weird stuff that runs counter to every value in contemporary society. Like imagine where it's like, yeah, we really shouldn't ask people who are buying a house to have to talk to a real person because it's too inconvenient. Meanwhile, it's like there are six different ways that you can put on your mandatory neck garment. Uh, join the Boy Scouts to learn more. Right. Like, <laughs> and and uh, can. Yeah. Ease of use is not is not characteristic of it. And um but yeah, like like you know, David Mamet can say that your necktie is accentuating your genitals because everything in David Mamet is accentuating your genitals. <laughs> but, <laughs> which is, right? Yeah. Which is not. I'm not trying to be overly submit, uh, dismissive, but um, just the right amount of dismissive. Uh, well, well, I'm just saying that it is. It doesn't feel like a sufficient explanation for how strange of a garment it is. So I had I had occasion to examine my necktie collection uh, in preparation for the aforementioned festivities. Yeah. Um, you know, not only did I pick one out, but I also was like, wait a minute, I have, um, you know, worn a necktie since the championship season started uh, once prior, and this is going to be my second time, I think. And I've got this closet of neckties going back to the year 2004, and there's like over a dozen of them, and I wear these so infrequently. I have just like got to, to trim this collection down. And I'm looking at them and like, you know, the wideness of the old one certainly struck me as like, OK, like these these uh, for whatever reason, like in the middle of the of the of the, of the aughts, like that was a thing. Um, it, it wasn't just me. Others thought it was a good idea. But like, you know, at, 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 and, and when looking at them and the shapes and the colors and things like that, I guess color was the thing that that popped out on me. It's like, you know, like men are afforded 
in their wardrobes, you know, these limited pathways for flashiness and expression, right? We talked about the cufflinks earlier, watches being another thing, and then there's neckties, right? You know, that's where something can be red, that's where something can have funny little pictures on it. Um, that to me is like, uh, you know, the, the, you know, there's no functional explanation for a necktie, right? But then we're just left with kind of like an expressive. No, it's ornament, um, it's, it's ornamental, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Goes back to, I mean, in the history of menswear, there's been like a ruffle there. There's been kind of like a folded or kind of wrapped scarf there. There's been, you know, there's been a lot of things and like in, in dress and a lot of cultures, putting something there, like put, you know, putting kind of like a, a, a moment, uh, at the, at the upper chest to, to decorate or, to, or to kind of ornament. Like it's, it's, you know, it, I don't know. It's found in a lot of things or something about that, uh, something about that particular spot. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's right. And it's much better to be zany tie guy than it is to be zany sock guy, right? <laughs> Cause we've all met that guy in, in offices <laughs> and like that guy is the worst. You know, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. Well, I mean, like, there, either there, of you zany sock guy. I'm, I don't know. No, but to... there's a narrow, there's, I've seen, I've seen, I haven't, um, you know, I didn't have like zany sock guy in the office, but I had like whimsical sock guy. Uh-huh. in the office. And I appreciated that. I mean, I I'm laughing because of course we just had a baby and two weeks in, I texted my family and told them that I was at Mario Kart sock levels, uh-huh. which is basically like, I have this pair of Mario Kart socks that have Donkey Kong driving Mario Kart. Um, I guess, is it a Mario Kart? He's driving a go-kart. Uh, is it understood that those go-karts are of a type of a kind? Uh, but yes. And it was given to me by my little sister, probably when she was like 10 years old as a uh, as a christmas present i believe um and uh and it's the last pair of socks that i wear uh it's the sort of it's the end oh i see okay it's, although it's, now okay. i have it's yeah. like that and then like 15 pairs of dress socks right so <laughs> the donkey kong socks come out first before the uh before the brooks brothers socks or whatever before the, um or the 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 J store socks or whatever it is. Um, but it does seem, it does seem very humane that, uh, even in, you know, moderately formal, uh, even in politics, actually, even in fairly, uh, formal situations, um, it, it is becoming more the norm not to wear, uh, not to wear a tie and to wear yeah. a, uh, you know, to wear a shirt with a collar, to wear a dress shirt, a bu- unbuttoned, um at the neck and it's a it's a it's a look that like on the right person can can look really good uh you know that that yeah. uh um that can look pretty fashionable i think what's the, okay so i will say i didn't i wasn't the crazy sock guy and i had crazy ties that i would wear when i was in shows um i was in a play in eighth grade where i played it was it eighth grade it was in probably earlier it was fifth grade. It was fifth grade where I played a uh, used car salesman in a play that a bunch of my classmates and I wrote, Beauty and the Big Bee, which is about the, the beast as a sort of uh, smarmy businessman um, that that uh, that Bell had to deal with. Um, I had sorry crazy ties, but I didn't wear them to work. I would wear argyle socks. I liked argyle socks. So I don't think of those as crazy socks. No, yeah, they're not like they're not logos. You know, I have because I have a basset hound. I get basset hound everything, and so I have basset hound socks. Those are zany socks. You know, yeah. Are they though? Like, depends on how big the 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 basset hound is, right? If they're like you know, you know small kind of you know uh, tastefully stitched. I mean, it's really it's really funny. I'm I am. I I I, want you to I want you to wear the basset 
hound socks your wedding is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm wearing a basset hound tie. Uh, for my 40th birthday, my soon-to-be wife gave me an Hermes tie that is uh, that has little basset hounds on it. But they're they're tiny. They look like they look yeah. like just a small dotted pattern on the thing. So they're not. They're you, you'd have to get really close. Um, you'd you'd have to get within like kissing distance to recognize that. Oh, those are actually tiny embroidered dogs. Uh, and that's um, you know that's yeah. the that's what's going on at the at the wedding. I guess I could do. I guess I could do the basset hound socks. I'm 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 not sure about that. That's one. a little bit. Like a lot of basset hound to double up on basset do hounds. It. Well, I mean, my whole identity is being a dog parent, Pete. I, I don't know. And, and it's, you know, it's more meaningful than anything I've ever done or will do in my life yep. is, you know, yep. is, uh, is care for this, uh, adopt and care for this dog. Uh, Pete, I like to think that he rescued me. What's the deal with Paisley? But you're talking. <laughs> what's, what's the deal, what's the deal with, Paisley? with Paisley? It's I, like someone spilled motor oil in a mixing bowl and then stirred it up for a little bit. I listen, and it's, you know, all the country music sounds roughly the same, but then this one guy comes on. <laughs> I, I think we are all. Great. I think we <laughs> But wait, I, I, Pete brought up Pete brought up acting and I think this this is actually a whole fascinating uh thing for the second hour of this podcast which we can embark on now. Um that like our 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 English phrase to dress up kind of has two meanings. One is to dress fancier, right? To to kind of like dress more elevated and um, the other is to kind of pretend to be something, to put on, to put on a costume. I, and I, you know, I have the, the dubious distinction of having gone to drama school for three years and worked with like a lot of wardrobe. And Pete, you know, you have a history of, of performing in the theater as well and have, have worked with a lot of wardrobe and like a lot of the, the people, the professors who teach this and then the, the, some of the very good designers who I've had a, uh, uh, chance to work with like point out you know oh where's what's my costume what's my costume for the show it's not it's not your costume it's the clothes of the character right and this difference between costume and clothes i think is is interesting and it's sort of illuminated by the discussion we've had about the the you know um uh, the middle class suit kayfabe uh that you, you know we were the, describing the kind of the middle management kayfabe of the, you know, of the, the suit and the dress code. Um, and that, that like, you know, w- w- actors say all the time that like one of the things that is, that is most, um, consequential in, in the course of like kind of figuring out how to perform is to wear the, the to wear the clothes of the character, especially the shoes, because it's, you know, like, like Pete sweltering on the, the, the Boston sidewalk, you know, in his, in his, you know, winter weight wool suit under the, the August sun, right? Wearing the, uh, the, the leather and the the heel you know the heel rubber of his shoes down to a nub um that yeah you know you you see uh, getting the shin splints and the kind of the ankle pains right like you you see how that like affects affects your movement and like d- doing that is really um is really important i mean it's it was something like this is it's really important for actors i mean to say and something like this is latent also in the kind of the advice for you know dress for the job that you want 
Um, and that, uh, like that, that, uh, there is a kind of, there is a kind of fakery, you know, to, to all of this, uh, whether it's aspirational or whether it's, you know, something else group about group membership or, or something like this. And I guess I, I, you know, I guess I just, before it sounded like you were going to pull this off in a different direction, Mark. And I, I guess I just wanted to, to kind of note that, uh, before we do that, relationship between kind of dressing up and dressing up to be more formal and dressing up to be like, I don't know, uh, like a, you know, magical dragon, uh, costume or something, something like that. This is a a RoboCop costume. This is the clothes that RoboCop wears when he does his work. (laughs) Right. Right. And it affects, it really affects the footwear affects his movements. Yeah. Dead or alive. You're looking great. (laughs) (laughs) Clonk. Clonk, clonk. <laughs> My shoes need to be resold. Clonk, clonk. <laughs> I, I mean, okay. So the performative aspect, kayfabe, yeah, uh, yes, uh, all of those are, are very good take, good, good points here, and well taken. Um, but are we, uh, I feel like something that we come across here often on this podcast is like confronted with this notion of authentic- authenticity. We keep coming back to the sense, like, well, any presentation of authenticity is ultimately a construct of itself as well, right? Um, so you kind of like, you know, you know, um, does it beg the question, Matt, when you talk about, um, um, dress up and, and, and play acting and things like that, does it beg the question of like, well, you know, what would, uh, what would you wear, uh, in a more authentic state if you didn't have to perform? I think that question, I think that question begs a question, (laughs) Mm, you know, mm. which is that there is an authentic, that there is an authentic state. They all raise questions. They don't beg questions. No, no, no. I know, I know, Pete. I was just trolling you. That last one, that last (laughs) one actually does beg a question because it assumes, it assumes something that you would need to argue separately, uh, as the thing, which is the, the existence of an, of, of a kind of an authentic state, an authentic state of, <laughs> of what of you know uh of dress Beauty? like who said well sure i guess but you know that's not going to help you so much so much with the elements like you know if i could wear if i could wear what i wanted to wear it would um it would probably resemble more like a muumuu than it would resemble a uh any kind of pants uh pants shirt combo something like that like uh i don't know it just uh i just feel like you know when you get out of the shower and you have a bathrobe on or or whatever that that style of garment that kind of one one intense style of garment seems like so much more comfortable uh than anything and though it would not be like practical for like a, a an you know an afternoon at the gym um for 85 90% of of what i do man i'm just going to i'm going to invest in bathrobes they're going to become my new my new ties i'll just uh you know show up on all my zoom calls wearing a wearing a bathrobe a smoking jacket power move power <laughs> move full Kimono. on terry cloth robe velour just like oh man my my son has a Paw Patrol bathrobe he loves. I'll see if they have it in your size. Oh, that's amazing! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the question I, the question of what is authentic and what you wear strikes to the heart of your ideas about meaning. I would imagine. I don't think you can you can get to a good answer unless you have a basis for saying why you would think anything is real. And that's the kind of thing where it's like, well, that's just semantics. And it's like, well, yeah, but we're talking about the meaning of words. That's what semantics is. <laughs> so um, 
So in the sense of, well, do you think that everything is inauthentic that isn't related to the material condition of people, in which case the only authentic thing to wear is like a 50 pound bundle of wool? That, that you like spin yourself or somebody else. Spins, no, it's a, it's a sheep. It's actually, you strap, it's you strap sheep. several sheep you to your body sheep to demonstrate the oppression and then climb inside of it. Luke Skywalker is best dressed when he's inside the Tauntaun. Because it reflects <laughs> how the lightsaber is an instrument of imperial oppression. I thought they looked snazzy on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been the Overthinking Podcast. <laughs> Pete, it's great to, uh, it's great to have you back. I hope that, uh, I hope that parenting schedules allow us to, uh, to keep doing this and to, uh, enjoy you and, and Mark as ever. Uh, it's great to have you and uh, to everyone listening thank you so much for uh listening to uh to another episode you know times change fashions change hemlines go up hemlines go down and yet the overthinking a podcast is uh, still here in fact we'll be here next week till then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't. I'll tell you what's authentic, and that's the thick layer of spit up that I currently have on my shirt, (laughs) as well as the gym shorts I'm wearing. Because the pants I was wearing earlier were soaked in bath water from my son splashing the water all over them. So that's 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 real, man. That's real.